getting into the Dell Technologies Match Play Tournament. This is going to be a little bit different of a breakdown than I typically would do because it is a bracket format. With that, it's a very fun format to me. And I'm, I've been on the fence between if it's easy or more difficult. I, I can't really tell if we've gotten really lucky the last two years or if it's just the process paying off. Personally, I think it's there's a big edge in the sense that it is a bracket style format. There's a lot of game theory that goes into this. And then simply just being better than the field on average every week is really going to pay off more so this week than other weeks. Also with that, we have been able to predict the winner the last two years really by a simple process. And it's really just going through the bracket like you would a March Madness bracket and doing the same basic logical things that you do to give yourself a successful bracket, to give yourself best chance to have a profitable bracket. That's the same stuff we can apply here. And so the last two years, obviously we have our final four, but we also have our top eight plays that we kind of want to have. Whether that comes out of the same group, that's fine. And we'll be going through that. So last year, obviously, Sky Scheffler was huge. What I did was literally just bet the top eight players, which is a little bit different than what I typically would like to do. A lot of you guys know my strategy is to reduce the field to the top 5% of plays and then bet those out. Obviously, that's based on kind of the nine to five model and also kind of what I see fit. This week, we're going to try to find the best eight plays in terms of likelihood to advance. And that's really it. And it's kind of a simple process in that aspect because well, I took the time last night to go ahead and make the data that tells us exactly what our expectations should be for this week based off of how the players are projected to play. So I'm very excited about this video. It's a fun video to cover because like I said, uh, you can really game the game, gain a big edge on the field as well. So it's it's a fun video. Let's go ahead and break it down. So it is going to be the Austin Country Club. It's a par 71. Uh, yardage is about 7,100. Eight. The weather is not expected to be any issue at all just yet. Uh, maybe Thursday, obviously storms, but really nothing too crazy. And guys, this is actually probably one of the most underrated courses on the PGA Tour. It's a such a sun, fun setup, and it's kind of unfortunate that we don't ever get to see it in a normal kind of tournament setting. I think the scores would be low, but it also could play as difficult as they would want it to. Uh, just a fun kind of course in, in general, okay? It, it's a fun tournament. Let's get into it. So what I did is I broke it down into regions, obviously Northwest, Southwest, Northeast, Southeast. Okay. And then what I did was I just did groupings. Okay. So this, this is going to be group one, group two, group three, group four, group five. Okay. So what I want to concentrate is going to be kind of just selecting the winners out of each group. So let's go ahead and just look at group one. Okay. So I'm going to pull up this page and we're going to go by group one. Okay. So looking at no shock there, got Scotty Scheffler at about 35% likelihood to go ahead and advance. And what we're looking at, how we were able to to determine this is pretty much just using the data that we have available for this week. So what was the data that we're looking at? Well, the key stats that I like to look at for a tournament like this are going to be general stats. We're looking at stroke gain differential, that effective scoring, that nine to five only stat that typically is a measure of who's most likely to make the cut. Uh, we're looking at stroke gain T to green, stroke gain total, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, ball striking, total driving, just the general stats. So that is how we're going to be able to determine who are the best stat fits. Also for course history, we are specifically looking at event history here. Okay, a lot of people are going to be pulling in head-to-head um, -head records or match played records. That's fine, but at the same time, not everyone has the same sample, right? And then if we look at some of these players here that have local ties, like Scotty Scheffler, like Matt Kuchar, like Jordan Spieth, like Will Zaltoris, there are players that also get a bump as well. So some interesting aspects there as well. Uh, but looking at it, we can see 
Obviously, Scotty Scheffler, great course history, so it's no shock that he's ranking out well. Victor Perez played in this tournament once, had a good result. We got Matt Kuchar, Seamus Power, Kevin Kisner. A lot of people really like Kevin Kisner this week. I will say I'm a little hands-offish with Kevin Kisner, but this is an example of, yes, we know Kevin Kisner is a good head-to-head player, right? His course history is going to tell us that as well, right? The issue with Kevin Kisner, I think, this week is going to be the fact that playing some of his worst golf ever and so can he really turn it up i think who was it last year ian poulter potentially where everyone was really excited for his kind of overall resume and then he was just terrible because he was terrible the whole year now that could have been potentially due to live and whatnot players more focused on that than the actual pga tour maybe but was terrible Billy Horschel has good course history here. And so there's a lot of players that have good course history. That's obviously going into the 9-to-5 data. And if we look at the players that have the best recent form as well, we can see John Rahm, Scotty, Max Homa, Tony Finau, Terrell Haddon, really no shocks there, right? Like this list goes deep. These are the best players in the world. Makes a lot of sense. And specialist-wise, just for what it's worth, uh, let's pull it in. We have a lot of interesting data points, bunkers, obviously designers, but here are the best specialists in the field. John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Xander, Tony Finau, Max Homa, Patrick Cantley, Terrell Hatton, Jordan Spieth. And so everyone kind of figured out really quickly that Terrell Hatton was kind of the, the standout value. And that's still going to be true, I think. But now that you guys get the overall feel of this week, let's go ahead and just show you guys the breakdown of this tournament. So yes, we can see Scotty Scheffler is probably going to be the player we want to roll with um, in general, right? We can kind of see that 35% chance to advance. I think we just roll with that. We kind of just eat the chalk. So we're going to go through and make the bracket, and then we're going to come back and kind of figure out what our DFS plays were. Now, if we wanted to pivot to Tom Kim, we could potentially do that as well. Obviously, he's been playing not as well recently, but playing well. And then Alex Dorn also does have pretty good course history here, as we saw. So let's just pull up those players real quick. And guys, this is the process. Like, it just is. Like, it might not be fast for all these ones. So I just kind of want to go through it just so you guys can see. Process of elimination. Who's most likely to advance? So we can see, like, the only good thing that Alex Norn has going for him is going to be that course experience, that those good results there. Tom Kim does not have any. So to me, it is kind of a clear choice that we just go with Sky Scheffler. We eat the chalk here. I don't think this is going to end up being Purdue. You know, you never know. It could end up being Kansas, though, where he loses in the next round. I doubt that. Just obviously first and a second here playing some extremely good golf i kind of expect him to win as well and obviously he has all those ties to texas as well so from there we move on into group two we got sunjay m tommy fleetwood jt post and maverick mcneely on paper this is looking like just with the eye test it seems like it'd be a more difficult group right so let's go ahead and look at this group breakdown so once again this is gonna be group two okay so we can see here this is where because we have kind of an even push here this is kind of a 50 50 decision here sun jam or tommy fleetwood who do we want to roll with right it's kind of a 50 50 decision and this is where maybe we could default to course history the thing with it is is that we saw sky shuffler's likelihood to advance was very strong so more likely than not sky shuffler is already looking like a core play because we want to kind of you know scale it six top 16 top eight top four that's kind of my approach here okay so already we can see that we probably want to be on sky shuffler just given the fact that this looks like it's very much sun jam or tommy fleetwood now don't get me wrong jt post and maverick Neely, they could play well as well like it is a wgc it is a bracket style event like there's random stuff that's going to happen right it's just do to happen no one was on princeton and if they were it's stupid right random stuff like that is just going to happen now last year we got lucky with a lucky guess on richard bland because we were able to establish that that bracket was pretty much up in the air and so if there are pivots like that we can make, then we'll make that. Also, guys, I want to point out just something real quick while I, while I remember it. And this is something I can touch on either at the end of this video or in a separate video. But the 9 to 5 lineup builder has a huge tool advantage for you guys today. You can do player groups. So let's say when a lineup in includes Scotty Scheffler, I want 
at least zero of Sun JM. Maybe not Sun JM. You could do that. You could do, you know, both groups here. So we could do group one and group two, where when a lineup includes Sky Scheffler, we don't want any of Tom Kim, Alex Norn, and Davis Riley for sure. You know, I don't really mind doing like having one of these guys in here, Sun JM or Tommy Fleetwood. But at the same time, we could very well just limit this, right? It just makes sense to do that. So we can set up those rules. So let's just do that, for example. And so we got those rules in there. We click go. And so if we were to run this, and let's just say we want 30% of Scotty Scheffler or something. There we go, 32, whatever. Click generate. Then we scroll over, click on the lines that have Scotty Scheffler here. We'll see that none of them would have one of those players associated with it, right? And so that's kind of a common theme is that some people will not make optimal lineup decisions this week. Based off of the bracket, they'll kind of cap their upside. And a lot of people that probably give content are going to say that is the wrong way to go this week. And I'm not exactly going to say that. There are a lot of weeks in which you know, having five out of six across the cut line can be profitable. And actually, if you plan for that, can be very profitable for the random weeks in which you get six for six across the cut line. And by that, I mean, if you pull from like two values, and let's say they have about a 50% chance to make the cut, if one of them make, or if both of them make the cut that week, you are sitting pretty good. You can kind of use that same logic this week. Like, let's just say, for instance, let's say this wasn't Sky Scheffler. Let's say this was a terrible play. And obviously we'll get into this as the video goes on, but let's say this was a terrible play and this whole bracket group seemed like a push, right? Then there'd be a very high likelihood that either Sanjay M or Tommy Fleetwood would be able to advance to the Sweet 16. I wouldn't mind a situation in which we have a decent amount of those two. Now let's pull up another example. Let's say that, I don't know, let's say this was Scotty Scheffler and John Rom, for instance, or something right here. Two players that more likely than not are gonna be two locks. Obviously, John Rahm's over here. Whatever. This is just an example. And as we get into this, I'm sure this will pop up. Let's say this was Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm. I would honestly be fine having both Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm in that scenario. Obviously, different names and salaries attached. I'd be fine having them in the same build because if we thought they had a strong likelihood to not only win, but just advance to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with taking in those points. Like, you can kind of lock in points as well. So, yes, in GPPs, you want to try to get as many people to the final four as you you can but guys it's i don't want to say it's impossible but it's just not likely right like if you get three out of four if you get the the champions right that's the biggest thing that you should be stressing getting the champion and the the victory the winner correct that's the biggest stress but getting back into this right okay so let's look at sunjay and tommy fleetwood we like those plays let's just compare those two so right Right on paper, we can see very, very close here. We got Sun JM, who's 35th and 42nd, not really good stuff there. And Tommy Fleetwood, 35th, 5th, 24th, and 17th. Some people might default to Maverick McNeely just due to the fact that he advanced last year. I was just curious if he had any Texas ties. And he was a California guy. I just didn't know where he was currently living, currently living in Nevada. Okay, that just seems like something random to me. Obviously, he's not playing good golf, playing some of the worst golf right now in the field. Um, JT Poston would probably be a better play than him. So it does make sense to just kind of roll potentially with Tommy Fleetwood. I might give him the slight advantage. We do see Sun Jam being a good specialist. Thing with it is, Sun Jam typically isn't going to shoot himself out of it. It's just, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be a gamer. I want to chase that upside with, from Tommy Fleetwood pretty much. He's playing great golf. We look at his last three starts third, 27th, 61st, 20th. Not great there, but if you go back further, fifth, you know, some good stuff there for Tommy Fleetwood. So let's just go ahead and select him. Although, once again, on paper, it does seem like we are just going to roll with Sky Scheffler or Tommy. Fleetwood. Let's just confirm that. And the way I'm going to confirm that, put both these in there, sort by sweet 16 likelihood, and boom, we can kind of see Sky Shuffler and then Sun JM and then Tommy Fleetwood. 
about pushes there. So we're going to go ahead and put in Scottish Shuffler to advance. So now we move down into group three and group four. So let's start with group three. All right. So looking at, we actually see that Jason Day has a slight edge over Kyle Morikawa and Victor Perez. We can see that this bracket group is already very tight though. The likelihood of these players advancing is very small and it should essentially be a push right we can see that and so i'm actually curious right off the bat let's see the likelihood from a player from group four advancing do we have a big edge we do. Victor Hovland has a significant edge really over Siwoo Kim, Chris Kirk, but it's really Matt Kuchar that struggled, which I find very interesting because we did see that course history with Matt Kuchar. It was very good course history. So I probably will select Victor Hovland. An upset pick could be Matt Kuchar just continuing that good form at the, I shouldn't say form, continuing those good results at that tournament. So hopefully this doesn't matter, this decision, but we can already see we're probably just picking Sky Scheffler to move on, just given the fact that we don't have any real locks other than him to advance in the first round to advance out of the group stage so once again looking at the group three let's just pull it up all right so we can see all of these players here right Kyle Morikawa had a really good start here last year he has been extremely hit or miss the question is really will that continue Will you continue to be hit or miss? Because if that does, I could see kind of just defaulting to someone like Jason Day, who's just been playing some extremely great golf. Each golf shot, he's been, seemed to be in command. Will he advance out of the group stage? Who knows, right? Hasn't really done all too well at this tournament in the past, but yeah, I think of it the last two times he played this tournament wasn't exactly playing how he is now, you know? So take it with a grain of salt there because he's playing great. 15th best specialist, 12th stat fit, 12th in recent form rank, and we could default to that. But we also have Victor Perez, who's also playing some great golf as well, which might surprise some people. And so for value DFS wise, we could just be playing Victor Perez, just given the fact that well, looking at it, guys, it's basically a push like Victor Perez does rank out pretty well here. And so if we are making like a DraftKings build, we are seeing we probably want to roll with Scotty. And then maybe we try to get lucky with a very low price Victor Perez, an underpriced Victor Perez for that matter. You know, he's been playing some pretty good golf, played well at this tournament in the past. Now, would I say that I would much rather play Jason Day than Victor Perez? Yes, obviously. But we can make some educated decisions and kind of say, I'm fine with punting for value play. DraftKings wise. If we're making a bracket, we're probably just rolling with Jason Day or Kyle Morikawa. I'll just roll with the slight favorite, which is Jason Day. So now we move on into this group again, group four. And I apologize if this is going to be a long video. It's just, it's fun to break down. It just is. So looking at right now, we got Hovland, Siwoo, Chris Kirk, Matt Kuchar. I want to see this on paper as well. All right. So we can see here, like, some pretty good results for a lot of these players. I would say, I think we can pass up on Chris Kirk. I'm fine with that. But we can see Victor Oven really coming in pretty spectacular. Top 12 specialist stat rank and in recent form rank. Course history is a little bit lackluster, but we have seen him get a little bit better uh, in each start. 18th and 42nd last year. Uh, the issue is Matt Kuchar has played extremely well here. And the issue is that this should be a good course for Matt Kuchar as well. Sorry, I think I, I said Kuchar had course ties. He doesn't. He's just played well at this course. I think I said that earlier, but and like the upside weeks have randomly been there for him. And some of his better tournaments, I believe, are in Texas. I actually want to see that 37th best specialist. I'm actually curious. Let's look at that. So, yeah, he's one of the better ones in the field on a Texas track. Interesting. Or in this group. And just looking at it, it does seem like it should be much more of a push. Now, I'll probably will try to just go to Victor Hovland. I uh, just playing extremely well. Tough to imagine him giving holes away. The issue that I had with Victor Hovland is it doesn't seem like he has the mental fortitude to win big events. And I would say the mental fortitude to play well in an event like this is kind of the same as winning a big event. You have to have that 
Mamba mentality, if you will. So I could see, you know, for fun of a bracket, maybe potentially picking an upset here, but this is tough because we have Victor Perez as a value and we also have Victor Hovland as kind of the play we want to roll with here. Curious, we're not like, if Matt Kuchar was an insane value, we could roll with him. I, I kind of say we just play Victor Hovland here, pick him, and then we're stuck. Obviously, DraftKings wise, we went Victor Perez here, but this does seem to be much more like a 50-50. So we're just like rolling with Scotty Scheffler to advance to the final four. Because if we pull in that whole region now in here, let's just sort by sweet 16 odds. Sky Scheffler is above all of them. Elite eight odds. Sky Scheffler above all of them. So I like his chances the most. Okay. And then we do see Victor Hovland popping up there. He is a good play. So it does make sense. Let's just go with Victor Hovland as well. But to me, the only like core play we have out of this group, just going by it, does seem to be Scotty. Now let's go ahead and move down into the Southwest region. So Southwest region, group five, the top group. We got Max Soma coming in as the heavy favorite. And I, I don't really think we need to spend that much time on it. It does kind of seem like he should be the heavy favorite. A lot of people are going to see Kevin Kisner and be worried about it. I, I'm just not, okay? It, it seems to be the easiest group to make it out of. So we get by a lot of measures, a player that's probably the fourth best in the world right now in Max Homa going against players that have kind of just been terrible recently, except for Justin Suh. But at the same time, I don't think we need to roll with Justin Suh. Okay. Hideki's been struggling lately. Although last start fifth, kind of random. We never exactly know where Hideki's at. He just hasn't played all too well in an event like this. So to bet on him doesn't really make sense. Now, the issue that we have with Max Homa is that he's extremely high priced. And so if we're choosing between Sky Scheffler or Max Homa in terms of like a DraftKings build, it makes more sense to roll with Sky Scheffler. We can see Kevin Kisner has Really dominated events like this, but I do want to make it clear. He has been playing just terrible, terribly lately. Just no reason to end up on him, I don't think. And so that's why he's not ranking out well. Even with that strong course history, he's a bad play. Now, if you guys want to roll with Kevin Kisner, say, I like the course history. I'm going to roll with him. I'm fine with that. I just can't see myself doing that. So we're going to roll with Max Homer here. Now we roll on into group six. So once again, we can kind of see it seems to be a battle between Jordan, Shane Lowry, and Taylor Montgomery. Now, Taylor Montgomery is coming in off of that victory. So my question would be, how much can we trust him <laughs> really coming in off of that victory? Does seem like a guy that'd be content to be, you know, having that victory. And we kind of know <laughs> this is, it's interesting. All these bad plays here actually have some good results at the tournament. Mackenzie Hughes here, like who would have saw that coming, right? Strange there. So that's interesting. I would say like there is the potential for this to be a spot in which we could go with an upset with our bracket. And maybe not our bracket, but our, our DFS builds. Like value-wise, Mackenzie Hughes makes sense. Good course history, terrible form. We can see that, okay? But if you want to chase the course history in this sense, I wouldn't hate it. Definitely not a lock and load. <laughs> Far from that. What you would hope for is that he gets a tie with like Shane or Jordan and then beats Taylor Montgomery and maybe wins a tie. Could hope for something like that. I would say Jordan is the play we should go with. But once again, Jordan is high-priced. DraftKings-wise, it's tough. I will say, I think we just roll with Jordan, bracket wise dfs build wise if you run to roll with mackenzie hughes i'd be fine with that so i actually will toss in mackenzie hughes and victor perez into a lineup right now because once again i don't mind punting if we get lucky with one of these two i'm fine with it okay because i feel comfortable that sky scheffler is kind of the clear cut play pay up play obviously as we continue this video hopefully we can find better plays than that so let's get into this group seven and group six most likely to advance to the elite eight and sweet 16 who do we got we got jordan speed interesting and if we look at it it's gonna be jordan and shane lowry there why because well oops sorry i got the wrong it shouldn't be seven it should be five apologies okay it is jordan jordan then max homa 
which to me is interesting. If you're worried at all about Kevin Kisner, right, potentially upsetting Max Homa, I would say Max Homa has the mental fortitude to be able to beat a terribly plain Matt or Kevin Kisner at this moment. Definitely doesn't feel like a lock and load here, but I do think we kind of default to Jordan here, bracket-wise, but it doesn't feel great. And what's interesting here is that we're not seeing too many big upsets just yet. I feel like when we did this last year, like Richard Bland, we kind of already knew that we were going to pick him. <laughs> so let's see. This one could get interesting. Let's take a peek at this one. This is group seven. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thought it would be interesting. It is. Look at this. And so this is kind of what I was saying earlier. It's that we can see this is basically a push. I have no big edges here at all in terms of who's going to advance. Okay. <laughs> like any four of them could advance. And this is a scenario. I'm actually curious. What are the prices of Seamus Power and Adam Hadwin? Oh, Adam Hadwin's actually higher price. I, I guess I wouldn't hate Seamus Power. Although, man, it's going to be tough to end up on him. But we can see even push here. Sam Burns, you know, played well at the tournament. He always plays well at last year. That was great. Adam Scott's definitely been hit or miss. A little bit inconsistent recently. Bracket wise, I think this is where we could get unique here. Uh, DFS wise. You know, I don't hate the idea of going with Seamus Power. Obviously, Adam Hadwin just had two bad holes last tournament, and that's kind of the thing about match play tournaments is that you can give away two holes and sure it's going to hurt you but it might not hurt you as much as it typically would right i think i'm going to go pop i think i'm going to go power oh he's the i did not see that coming <laughs> do i go with the upset just for the fun with adam hadwin uh, i don't know <laughs> uh, i didn't realize Seamus power would be the top or second best seed in that group and now we get into patrick cantley brian Harmon, cage lee and nick taylor i'm assuming we're going to be on patrick Cantley. yeah so it's not as big of an edge as I thought it would be. And actually, this could be a spot in which maybe we get a little bit of Nick Taylor exposure. And I'm curious as to his price. Let's Once again, let's look at this, the breakdown of it. Okay, yes. Nick Taylor makes sense in terms of value. I would say he's actually probably my favorite value that we have thus far. Because I would say price point wise, he's probably the best value that we have in terms of likelihood to advance not only out of their group stage i mean patrick hanley is going to be the biggest hindrance here i don't think patrick hanley is really going to slip up and brian Harmon's a grinder as well so there is that worry i would say nick taylor's a grinder as well but he to me is much more appealing than like hadwin or you know one of those guys so i'm gonna go cantley here because he does feel like the best play, but in terms of DraftKings, where we're trying to get lucky, could go Nick Taylor. We could go Patrick Hanley as well. And that's where some people might say that is stupid. That's a terrible idea, Eric. You should never suggest that. And obviously in GPPs, we don't want to do that because we are definitely limiting the amount of points that we're going to get. I'm just admitting that chances are we're not going to get, you know, six for six correct, really get into even the sweet 16. It would be great if we did. It's just extremely unlikely. And so this is kind of my way of kind of ensuring, hopefully ensuring that we get at least one of these two to the sweet 16. Could do that. I'm not saying I'm going to. I just wanted to use that as an example of what I was trying to suggest earlier. And once again, why would we do something like this? Well, if we pull in group seven and group eight, we'll see Patrick Hanley is the heavy favorite to advance out of the sweet 16. And then from there, it's kind of a push. Like sure, Sam Burns, Adam Scott, Seamus Power, and then Nick Taylor. But the separation between Nick Taylor is not too huge. I, I don't mind it. And I would say we don't know who's going to come out of group seven. We strongly know that's most likely going to be Patrick Hanley. And so we are definitely picking him to you know, go to the sweet 16, but heck, let's just, another example would be if Nick Taylor was in group seven, instead of let's say Adam Hadwin, you would just be loading up on Nick Taylor in that sense, because in a bracket in which it's an even push, it just makes sense to go with the lowest price player. But yes, I think our two favorite favorites to advance to the sweet 16 are going to be Sky Shuffler and Patrick Cantley so far. So outright wise, they're probably the only two that I like so far outright wise as well. 
Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Hanley. I haven't even looked at the odds yet. All right, Scotty, eight to one. And Patrick Hanley, 18 to one. It's pretty good. We'll take those. All right, and so now let's just do both regions here, Southwest and Northwest. I just want to see who's most likely to advance and Jordan Spieth popping up in there. That's interesting. I'm actually curious as to why that is. That is extremely interesting. Let's go and look at group six again. Oh yeah, because he was just kind of the massive favorite out of that group. It makes sense. So maybe we add Jordan to the betting card as well. But yes, it does seem like Jordan, Cantley, Scotty, those are kind of our favorites out of here. So bracket wise, I think we go with Jordan. We already went with Jordan, actually. We're going with Cantley here. And so this is where it gets interesting kind of bracket wise and even DFS wise. Let's look at the pricing. Jordan and Cantley are Patrick... <laughs> Patrickly the same. Practically the same. Personally, I think I like Cantley a little bit more. I I think he is the easiest to predict to be able to advance. But I don't I don't hate Jordan, obviously. I think Jordan makes for a logical outright. Let's see his odds. We can get Jordan at 25 to 1. And given his matchups, he's actually pulling in as the most likely to advance to Elite 8 slightly. I mean, it's this tight push, right? And guys, this is broken down literally by kind of how I broke it down, how I displayed this video is that likely to advance in round one, take those odds and then use it for Sweet 16, take those odds, use it for Elite 8. And that's how I'm coming up with these odds. We're basing it based off of their likelihood to advance each round. So I'm going to go Cantley there for the bracket. Let's go ahead and move on into the Northeast bracket. All right. So look at the northeast bracket group nine and so what i find interesting here is that john rom is kind of clearly a great play but the issue with john rom this week is that keith mitchell and ricky fowler are also pretty strong plays so it's not as much of a lock and load for him to advance as a lot of people would have thought and so let's see why well ricky doesn't have any course experience here over the last four years he sucked <laughs> okay uh and we can see john rom has had tremendous course history ninth fifth 24th 52nd okay i had to take out the withdrawal from john rom in the last one because he was playing well just got sick so we'll see that that's a factor as well uh the issue with ricky and keith mitchell is that they're coming in at high price point and so like dfs wise we can't really end up on them really i mean ricky could but we can see kind of why john rom isn't as much of a favorite to advance as probably some of the other top seeds that we already mentioned because Ricky and Keith Mitchell are good picks. They just are. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and pick John Rom to advance, but in terms of building a lineup, like we feel much more comfortable with Scotty, with Kaleen, and for that matter, Jordan Spieth instead of John Rom because John Rom has a much more difficult round one pairing. So now we get into group 10. This is very shocking to me. Cameron Young has an insane edge over Corey Connors, Seb Straka, and Davis Thompson. Okay, such a big edge to advance out of the group stage. And I keep saying round one group stage, same thing. Do we really need to look at this? I mean, we will. Like, I don't want to write these guys off, but Cameron Young played kind of well last year. He just, I think he was paired up with John Rom, And so he didn't, he had a shot to advance, obviously, but maybe it was Rory, but obviously the likelihood of him advancing out of that group was not that likely. So I don't know if we can really knock him too much for that 35th place finish last year. He did get a W. Now, Corey Connors played some extremely good golf at this course last year. It is a shorter track. They do rank out basically as the same specials. So to me, it does seem like it's either Cameron Young or Corey Connors. And I like, I don't mind Corey Connors, obviously terrible in his last start, but besides that, a very consistent golfer. Obviously, if you're playing consistent shot to shot, that's what you need to do well in a, in a kind of grinded out event. Blow up holes can happen as long as you're just not giving away holes. Now, the thing with Cameron Young is he's very interesting because he is someone that goes for it, okay? It wouldn't be shocking if he wins. It wouldn't be shocking if he does kind of just, I guess I was going to say it wouldn't be shocking if he doesn't advance. It would be shocking to me because... He does go for it. He might give up a hole or two, but blow up holes don't really matter. He's going to be aggressive and try to win holes. So I like Cameron Young has one of the best likelihoods to advance. And he is someone price point wise, 9.2. I do think we could try to end up on. We do see the big price discrepancy here though. Okay. It's kind of crazy here. And so it's kind of interesting game theory wise though, two 
value plays right here between Davis Thompson and Seb Straka. We haven't had that many groups that have two values there, right? So potential game theory would say that, and it's not this, but we have a 50% chance that we have someone at 6.2 or 6.1, I guess it'd be 33% chance, 33% chance at 6.2 or 6.1 are going to advance, you know, if we were to combine these two. It's not terrible in terms of lineup construction. Now, I would say we're just going with Cameron Young, but just an interesting game theory thought there. And so lineup wise, we're, we're getting tight here. Okay. Um, I do feel pretty good about Cameron Young there, but it's getting tight. Let's go ahead. We put Cameron Young in there. Cameron Young versus John Rahm interesting matchup we'll continue on and honestly i'm really shocked that we're this deep into the video and we haven't got like any clear-cut values like nick taylor was all right but nothing like that was a lock and load and now we got tony fino really popping up and i'm actually curious as to what adrian's price is this week because to me that could be an edge that we get there mm, interesting tony i wouldn't say he struggled at this event by any means but he hasn't dominated yet and you would think that he would but this is a good spot for Adrian. He's been playing some good golf. There's no denying that. Now, some of these starts have come from the DP tour, but value price point wise, I feel like we're not going to get a better value play on paper given his bracket group. And we can kind of see that's why he's kind of popping up here as the next best compared to Tony Fino. That is interesting. And I'm I'm curious, what is Tony's potential matchup in 12 out of group 12? Like how, how do these two compare against group 12? So, I mean, not terrible, actually. We have Ryan Fox popping up there. That's surprising. He's been playing well on the dp tour though so not too surprising oh that's tough i was hoping we'd have like a lock and load out of that group it does make sense to go with adrian here though damn okay i think we got to do it bracket wise too let's let's get unique with it let's have fun and this is the educated upset that we're making here right we, we know tony's the favorite but we can see on paper should be much tighter than it is i'm curious as to why ryan fox is popping up over wills al torres so let's go and pull that up what i find super interesting about this group here is that it's a bunch of golfers that rarely are making mistakes like especially Harris English and Andrew Putnam, they're typically players that are putting the ball where they need to. At the same time, they're not really players that anyone seems to fear. Now, I do want to mention Wills Altoris because if you guys remember last year's tournament, I, I think he was like a top four play for me that week, but he had so many clutch. It was like one of the clutchest performance of the whole season, if not the most clutch performance of the whole season that Wills Altoris had. I think it was Friday evening and Saturday like the full day Saturday, because he shouldn't have won those matches, and he did. He had some clutch up and downs. He had some clutch putts, but now he's coming into this event not really playing great golf, okay? We see some top 10s there, 4th, 11th, and 1st, but besides that, really inconsistent golf, and so it does make sense why someone like Ryan Fox, who has been playing some good golf, you know, consistently as well, is popping up there over someone like Will Zalatoris. And if we use his DP tour starts, is coming in as one of the better stat rank plays as well. And I, this is frustrating here, guys. I really wish that we were getting a better price point on Ryan Fox. But this to me says that not only are we getting a good value play in Ryan Fox kind of price point wise, but between group 11 and group 12, we are potentially getting a very cheap sweet 16 play so it does seem like we kind of have to prioritize our pick so i'm probably going with ryan fox out of both of these to advance but that's where we can kind of get unique with our build if we want to go with adrian to advance there i'd be fine with that we can see pretty tight stuff there but like logically speaking 
just considering the price points, this is probably our best chance to get a Sweet 16 upside play. And then let's look at Cameron Young and John Rahm. So it would most likely be Cameron Young that we were pulling from, especially when we're looking at those two. So I'd sort by 10 and, 10 and 9. And so we could see because John Rahm has a much more difficult round one pairing with Ricky Fowler and Keith Mitchell, that we can see Cameron Young is actually more likely to get out of the Sweet 16 because, well, Cameron Young has a higher likelihood to advance in the group state. Now, if it was just primarily Cameron Young versus John Rom, yes, we'd be favoring John Rom, right? It's just we are trying to make the best percent decisions we can can make based off of who's most likely to make it out of the group state. So to me, it does make sense just to go with Cameron Young. Easier path to get there. And that's the kind that's kind of the thing here, guys, that we can see John Rom or Cameron Young. They have kind of a I don't want to say easy path, but like the chances are that they could be facing someone that is a more easy matchup on paper than really any other, you know, two seed or what would this be? Four seed in the bracket. And so we'd kind of logically have to pick Cameron Young to advance. So now let's go ahead and get into that Southeast bracket. So just looking at that bracket on paper, it's... <laughs> It's looking like one where the, the favorites between Xander, Hatton, and Rory are going to be probably ones that we're rolling with. And then this is where we could potentially find our value here in this group because obviously Matt Fitzpatrick been struggling a little bit recently. So we'll, we'll check that out. And just for fun, let's start with the bottom bracket, group 16. So Rory is definitely going to be the favorite out of here. We know that. Okay, Keegan Bradley has just really struggled in these events. Uh, he's just not clutch. It's just not who he is. And so we also have Denny McCarthy there as well. Uh, and then Scott Stallings. Like none of these golfers have been playing great golf or consistent golf. What we need to really know with this group is that Rory went to Augusta and I guess was doing some practice rounds and he's been testing out some new equipment. Seems to have a driver now that he likes. It seems to be something with the shaft that he was messing with. Uh, likes the shaft or the driver. I don't know. I've seen rumors out there. Apparently he's in the golf ball, ball. Sorry, the golf ball well. Now, if Rory doesn't make it through, let's say he struggles. He's been a little bit inconsistent and maybe the, the changes in his gear are going to help or hurt. We don't really know. But to me, the fact that he went and did a, a practice round in Augusta suggests that I might be looking ahead. So like we could potentially go Scott Stallings here, but really because of that, I think we just roll with Rory here. Like Scott Stallings has shown random upside. I just, if I'm not picking Rory, I, I would just rather pay down for a cheap value play, hoping that they make it out of the round or hope, hopefully that they win a matchup. And obviously going against Keegan, well, that seems to be something that can happen because Keegan chokes. So yes, on paper, Rory is definitely the best pick and on paper, Scott Stallings is not, but I say we roll with Rory here in terms of the bracket. But because of that, like we're going to see Terrell Hatton's just kind of the top notch play this week. And given his pricing, like he's going to be an outright for everyone as he should be. So looking at, we can see Terrell Hatton heavily favorited. Uh, and I just want to see what Ben Griffin's pricing is because he could be someone that we actually maybe defer to in lineups that we're not going with Hatton. So yeah, we can just see Terrell Hatton's definitely kind of just the class of the field pick here. Uh, but Ben Griffin is at a good price point. Okay, so I would say it'd be a mistake not to go in on Terrell Haddon this week, but maybe he just struggles. Maybe he only wins one match, loses another, and ties. Or maybe he ties twice, and Ben Griffin beats Lucas Herbert and Russell Henley and ties Terrell Haddon. You know, maybe something like that weird happens. Ben Griffin has been playing some good enough golf, and he's at such a cheap price point that I do think we need to consider him as a value. Obviously, if we're paying up for the studs, we should be trying to find some value that we can roll with. So, it makes sense that if we are using the lineup builder here that, you know, we go into settings here, we run a player group. Let's say when a lineup includes Terrell Haddon, do not have Ben Griffin. 
right? When a lineup includes Ben Griffin, do not have Terrell Hatton. I think that'd be a worthwhile group to go out of your way to suggest. But as it sits right now, I think Terrell Hatton is just going to be a strong price point play at 9K. Now we get into this bracket here. This is going to be very interesting. So group 14, Ming Wu Lee is actually the favorite to advance here. And we saw kind of the grinded out nature, the I want to beat you kind of mentality that Ming Wu Lee had just two events ago. But we also have JJ Spawn at a cheap price point, And he's someone that has won in Texas. Now he hasn't been playing great recently, but we can see it has been really just one bad round besides the API. Um, you know, that's just naturally a tougher scoring track. One bad round, really every tournament that has cost him. So, you know, he could definitely lose a match and I kind of expect him to lose a match. It's just, can he get lucky to advance? Maybe win two matches, maybe have a three-way tie in advance. Maybe. Okay. Obviously the 6k minimum price just seems too cheap. It's not too long ago that we saw a 12th, 5th, 15th, 15th. Like it's not too long ago that we saw that from him. So I would say that's still there. Maybe he's a little bit banged up. We don't really have that news, but we do know that Matt Fitzpatrick has been struggling. To me, this group is on paper, the most difficult to predict who's going to come out of it. Now I know Ming Wu Lee is really popping up there and that's because he played well at this tournament last year, based off of the small sample sizes that we have on him. He's actually a pretty good play. And so given his price tag of 7.6, I'm perfectly fine ending up on him. And that's more or less what it is. I'm fine ending up on him. But given this grouping that we have, it does seem to me that's much more of a push than it really suggests on paper. And so because that, we're probably just picking whoever this winner is to advance. And so this one's kind of simple to me. It's going to be looking at Xander Shoffley. Okay. Kind of easy plug and play there, I would say, but let's just take a look at it. Xander has one of the highest likelihoods to advance in round one. I think he has the highest and then Han has like the second most highest. So it just makes sense to roll with those guys. And you know what I find really funny about this year is that because the live golfers aren't here, there's not that many like free wins out there because a lot of those live golfers, for some reason, they're kind of the nature of playing in the no cut events, getting like free world golf ranking points. A lot of, and even last year, it was really bigger last year because I think mentally a lot of those guys were looking ahead because they were playing terribly but because none of those golfers are here we're actually getting golfers that are coming in as kind of strong plays so it doesn't really seem like we have any I would say lock and loads to make it to the sweet 16 where last year it seemed like that so on paper it's actually more difficult to predict this year than last year which is kind of interesting to me because I saw some takes out there on Twitter that would actually kind of suggest the opposite oh it's unfortunate the live guys aren't here we're starting to feel it here I'm like I don't really I don't think so. I think we're actually like we're getting a better field now because of that. Now, there's less free squares out there because, there, you know, there's Ian Poulter. I don't, there's just players out there where we knew to avoid. Them. It was easy to tell. Where now some of these bad golfers, world rankings wise, are coming in in pretty good form. But looking at guys, we can see Xander, you know, really only one bad start, but still won a match. Okay. And so that's something I haven't really talked about too much is like you still want to be winning match. You want to win holes and whatnot. Uh, and he's done that. And so for the most part, Xander Shoffley on paper is going to be kind of one of the best plays. He's a very consistent golfer as well. Never really shooting himself out of it. Always keeping himself into contention. Um, cool, calm, and collect. Now, Tom Hoagie did go to college in Texas. I think he went to TCU, so he does have a little bit of ties there as well. But to me, it's simple. We are going to pick Xander there. And then, you know, just given the path, we can see Xander does have a pretty good path to make it out of the Sweet 16 and advance. And to me, I think it's going to be Xander. And so if we just look at all the groups, uh, or yeah, all the groups out of that section, we can see Xander and Hatton have great likelihood to advance, but we also have Ming Lee. So this is where I think roster construction gets very unique in terms of cash and GPPs. And I want to use NBAs as an example. In NBA DFS, a lot of the times we'll see that you can actually enter your cash build into a GPP and have the same or if not better likelihood of cash 
And why is that? Because people go much more risk reward based in GPPs. Okay. They're trying to chase that upside. And so that is where, you know, I would say if you are doing, if you are someone that's using a lineup builder, yes, set those rules. That is why this is here. Set those rules. Okay. But if you're someone that's building by hand, chase the points, chase the, the floor, right? Maximize the floor that you can have. Do not chase the scene. Okay. This is some something that three years ago, like people weren't making optimal builds. They're making dumb lineup decisions. Okay. They're really hurting themselves that way. And it seems like the last few years, people have went a little bit too extreme. Okay. And even in GPPs, like make logical decisions there. Don't just set a setting just to chase the most likely or the best lineup path, I guess, because the chances of you, it's like any March Madness bracket. Like there's going to be random upsets. Like no one had Princeton. There, there's going to be those, those teams, right? And there's going to be random upsets. Two one seeds, okay? Purdue, Kansas. That's just going to happen. And we can't really predict that. We just want to be chasing the favorable odds that we get. And so this is where I want to pull this up. You guys will see I have one, two, three, four players, actually five players from this, this side of the bracket in my build. Now, I will admit I didn't naturally try to do that, okay? But what am I doing here? None of them are going to face off against each other in round one. I would say that is king. You definitely need to do that. And the only two that are matching up against each other in round two are Xander and Ming Wu Lee. But if we can get one of these three right here, Xander, Ming Wu Lee, and Hatton to not only go to the final four, but maybe even make the championship, they're going to be playing in round three. They're going to get those third place points. That is huge. You want to have players continuing to play. That is the strategy here. Okay. So I don't care that I have three people from this bracket. I want to chase the points. And to me, and the data says this as well, if we pull it up, we are talking to the top three players that had the best likelihood to advance in Rome, right? And I'm not saying they all will. Heck, they, they probably probably won't, right? I mentioned we've had success at this tournament the past two years due to have bad luck. And I will say, Will Zell Torres clutching up last year was extreme luck with the putter, especially. But you guys get what I'm going for here. And actually, shoot, all of them are from this bracket. Maybe, maybe going six from this side is a little bit too much. That could very well be. Don't get me wrong there. That very well could be the wrong choice here. I didn't even notice that. Thought Adrian would be on the other side. But like I don't I don't think it's the wrong choice. Like if we we're just trying to get a player to the championship. We're trying to continue to maximize our points. And so heck, if we get lucky here with one of these two maybe advancing to face Cameron Young or something like that, that's huge. And so that's my way of saying if you guys feel like in this situation in which it's Terrell Hatton, maybe Xander, I don't mind playing both of them. Like it's fine. You're max maximizing your floor. And because people will directly make bad builds to try to maximize their ceiling, you can gain an edge on them, especially in cash and even in GPPs by building a lineup that has a safe floor. And I don't want to use the word safe <laughs> this week, but you guys get what I'm saying. So just to recap, guys, kind of the outright strategy that I've done the last two years in order to hit an outright is I want to be targeting the top eight plays. Typically speaking, it's going to be the players that have that I have going to lead eight, who have the highest likelihood to make it to lead eight. But to me, I see it as Scotty, one. Then we could go Jordan and Cantley. That's three players now. Cameron Young, we know, four. And then Xander and Hatton. We got six there. Okay. To me, I don't mind taking a flyer on Ryan Fox then or Ming Wu Lee. Okay. <laughs> I was here trying to get lucky there. And I would say, like, Scotty Scheffler to me really does have the best chance to advance to the Sweet 16. I just couldn't fit it him into this build and then same thing with like jordan and cantley like i really like cantley's chance to advance to the sweet 16 as well i just couldn't fit him into this build literally couldn't okay i guess i could i could go up from xander to Cantley. that is a pivot that i will do okay so that's not a bad pivot we're really banking on hatton now we're be, now we're making much more of a gpp build right but it's very much like march madness where we're trying to live to die another day as long as you didn't have purdue as your champion or even in your championship you are fine even if you had them in the final four after day one same thing with kansas as long as your teams are still alive to go to the 
Final Four, as long as you have two teams still alive to go to the Final Four, you most likely have a chance to make money to hit the outright winner. So it's a very interesting week. And just a reminder, if you guys want access to any of these tools, $10 a month, best value in PGA DFS. Like you can literally, if you are max entering this week, use that line of builder tool. That's, you are going to gain an edge that way. I'm saying if you're someone that's playing, let's say 20 entry max or single entry max contest, be more logical, build a floor. Now, if you are doing someone, someone that's max entering 150 lineups or something like that, then yes, the line of builder is what you need to do because you do have to be more unique as well. But thanks for watching guys. That's all I have for you guys for this video. Let's have a good tournament. I will try to come out with the Corrales video as well. Okay. want to make that clear. We'll see lots of, uh, lots of stuff going on. All right. Thanks for watching. Let's have it saying as always, let's keep cashing.